kicked off a, a new series, a sermon series that uh, we'd be walking through for the next couple of months to, to not only prepare us for Easter, but to, to go well beyond Easter. Uh, and, and we've been calling the series, the, the Gospel is a Blank. And, and our aim each week is to fill in that blank with a, a different thing, a different word or a phrase. The Gospel is a Blank. Um, and the reason for that is because I, I happen to think that one of the best ways to kind of describe and give illustration to what the gospel is, is to kind of think of it like a diamond. The gospel is a diamond. Uh, and, and you've probably seen a diamond before, whether it's on somebody's finger or your own finger or just on TV, like a cartoon, who knows. But we've all kind of seen a diamond. We can all kind of picture one in our head. And, and diamonds are this incredibly wonderful thing that that we attribute value to and we think is pretty and all these kinds of things. Um, one of the things about a diamond that makes it special is that it's got all these different angles that you can look at it. Uh, angles, uh, and you turn it this way and you can ooh and ah, and you turn it this way and you ooh and ah, and we call them facets, which is just a fancy word for face, but uh, the gospel is like a diamond because it's got all these different angles that you can look at it from. And it's all the same gem, all the same valuable gift of God, uh, but there's, we, can, we can spin it and we can go, ooh, have you seen the gospel from this angle? And we can spin it again, have you seen the gospel from this angle? And so last week we talked about how, uh, on Sunday we talked about how the gospel is a promised reality, that the whole Old Testament is pointing to this moment, the moment of the cross, that Jesus came for the purpose of dying. Right? That the whole Old Testament was not only kind of hinting at this, but saying this is the way that things must take place. Jesus rode into town as a victorious king who's there to save the city, and that's exactly what he does. It's just our understanding of saving is very different than what Jesus had in mind. And so tonight, I want to take the next step in, in that series. The gospel is a blank. Tonight I want to talk about how the gospel is a narrative. Yes, it's this, yes, it's that, but the God, guys, the gospel is also a narrative. It's a story. Uh, a story of, uh, of something that, that happened. Like, like, we all love stories, right? Whether it's in the movie or a TV show or maybe your favorite book or maybe you just love telling stories. We love stories. I, I love stories too. Right? Um, here's the thing about stories. There are stories and then there are good stories. There, there are stories, and then there are great stories. I'm of the opinion there are a couple of things that make great stories, and we can talk about the way they're told. We can talk about plot and characters and all that kind of stuff, but I think two things kind of stand out, at least for me, above the rest when it comes to what makes a great story. The first one is that a story, we always love stories that we find out are real right? Uh, if you tell a good story and then you learn that, that it's, it's not just some f fanciful thing that happened out there, but something that actually happened, and it, doesn't that kind of move you in a special way? Real people in a real place, in a real moment in history. I think the second thing that makes stories more special than most is that it, it changes you. You, you, ever, you ever heard a story, watched a story play out, and this truth is revealed that changes the way you see the world. Or this thing happens that's going to forever change the way you live. Man, those are good, good stories. They're the kind of stories that, that, that go well beyond just a, a nice little tale to entertain you and actually change your life. And I really think 
that the story of the cross is exactly one of those stories. Real people in a real place at a real moment in history. Truths are revealed that change the way you see and think. Actions occur that not only change the way you live, but change the scope of eternity. And so tonight, all I want to do is read you the story. It's something that we do here every single year uh, when we celebrate Good Friday together. But I want to read you the story. The gospel is a narrative, which means we need to know what happened. And so if you have a copy of your Bible, you can join me. But I'm going to be reading Luke 22 and Luke 23 tonight. Luke says this, Now the feast of the unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and confirmed with the, uh, conferred with the chief priests and the officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. And he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? And he said to them, Behold, you have entered, uh, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished, and prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant of my, in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it could be who was going to do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader is the one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? but I am among you as the one who serves. 
You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, nothing. And he said to them, but now, now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what it was written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down, and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And, and one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of the darkness. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This, this man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You, you also are one of them. 
Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. When day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council. And they said, well, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, well, are you the son of God then? And he said to them, you say that I am. And they said, well, what further testimony do we need? We've heard it ourselves from his own lips. And the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is the Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent. They were urgent, saying, he stirs up a people, teaching all throughout Judea, from Galilee, even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to, to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, well, because he had heard so much about him. He was hoping to see some sign done by him, and so he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him. And Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then, arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that day. For before this, they had been in enmity with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who is misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I do not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. They all cried together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas. A man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify him! 
A third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish him and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. And so Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. And he released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountain, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals. One on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. Soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, Well, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. The other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we, indeed, justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now the sixth hour. And it was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances And the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. 
He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down, wrapped it in a linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. A story that begs for resolution. I mean, you you feel the dissonance right now, right? A story that you want to say, but look at the next paragraph. Look at the next paragraph. Don't you know what's coming? Yeah, it's coming. But think for just a moment about those who are watching this play out before their very eyes. They don't know it's coming yet. Feel their frustration, feel their sorrow, feel their angst. As they watch the one they followed for years be falsely arrested, beaten and bloodied, mocked and ridiculed, passed around again and again, and ultimately murdered, executed on a stake. We make a long habit around here about preaching the gospel every time we get together. But tonight, tonight we need to feel the angst. Tonight we need to feel the sorrow. We've said it here before, Easter will be glorious. Resurrection Sunday will be amazing. But that will not be properly understood unless we understand the depth of sorrow that is Good Friday. Until we feel the weightiness and the pain of the cross. Until we feel the loss and the the broken, seemingly broken promises of the Messiah's death. Resurrection life doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to wait to finish the story. But Sunday's coming. Sunday's going to be good. But it ain't here yet. Tonight, tonight we look to his death and what it accomplished. God in the flesh took on your sin my sin, and went to the cross willingly, and the Bible says joyfully. Not because it was easy, not because it it was a light thing to him, but because he saw a better prize. And so tonight we're gonna we're gonna pray 
and we're going to turn off a live stream, and then we're going to go radio silent for a day. But Sunday's coming, and it's going to be a good morning. Father, thank you for sending your son. I know my heart well enough. I, I think I've watched people long enough to know other people's hearts well enough. I know how little I deserve to be near you. You are holy. You are good. You are righteous. You are so other than, and I am me. <laughs> I know me. I know what I offer. I know what I walk in. I know what I think about. And in your goodness, you sent your son. Jesus came. Jesus lived sinlessly. And Jesus died. He really died to save me. Oh God, what have I done? I have destroyed your son. But you came willingly. There was no accident here. You came on purpose. Because you are good. You are merciful. You are mighty to save. So God, as we think on your cross and what that means tonight, would you show us your goodness through it? And would you prepare our hearts for resurrection to come? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. I'll see you Sunday morning.